Hi everyone, welcome to If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan. Hi, I'm Lynn. Each week, we will bring you a new missing person story. Some have resolutions and some don't, but everyone still deserves to have their story told. Please stay tuned after this episode as we have an interview with one of Audrey May Heron's daughters. Welcome to If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and this is my mom. Hi, this is Lynn. In this episode, we're going to talk about the very curious case of a missing woman named Audrey May Heron, a beautiful and kind nurse from upstate New York who would go missing on her 15-minute ride from work to her home. August 29th, 2002 was a day just like many other for most. It was on this day that 10-year-old Sonzia was due to return back from a trip with her grandmother, Shirley. Sonzia said that she enjoyed the trip but was most looking forward to seeing her mom. Feelings were mutual. It was said that while working that night, Audrey placed a call to her husband, Jeff Heron, and mentioned that she was excited to see her daughter after the trip, but that's not all Audrey shared on this call to her husband. Before placing the call, Audrey had actually found out that she was getting a raise at work. Things seemed to really be going great for her. Audrey was a nurse working late into the night and wasn't due to get off work until 11 p.m. Her mother says the plan was for Audrey to go home that night and then the next day she would get up, go to her doctor's appointment, and then afterwards she would come by and pick up Sonja. Instead, by early the next morning, around 6 a.m., Shirley gets a call from Audrey's husband, Jeff. He calls to ask if Audrey has stayed the night at her mother's home. He told her mom that this wouldn't have been unusual, except normally she would have called to let him know where she was. Shirley's quoted as saying, I said she wasn't there, but I didn't think anything of it, so I dozed back off. An hour later, Jeff called again. Audrey still hadn't come home from work, and he was concerned. Audrey was supposed to get off of work at at 11 p.m. She should have been home for hours by this point. So how does a 31-year-old vibrant and caring nurse and beloved mother of three children just vanish? By the morning hours of August 30th, 2002, Audrey's family knew something was very wrong. A call to the medical center where she worked revealed that she had left at the normal time the night before at 11 p.m. So where was she? Finally, a call was placed to Audrey's stepmom. She knew just what to do as she had worked at division headquarters for the state police. By 10 a.m., officers were on the case. State Police Sergeant Fitzmaurice and Lieutenant Peter Kaspinski are two of the first to arrive. After talking to everyone, they decided it's time to begin the hunt for Audrey. It had rained the night before, and the road leading to Audrey's home was heavily wooded and poorly lit. Officers were sure that it had to be a car accident. Helicopter searches ensued because if her car crashed, she would have needed help as fast as possible. But an exhaustive search of the 12 miles between Audrey's work and home turns up no skin marks, no dented guardrails, no sign of Audrey or her 4,000-pound Jeep Grand Cherokee. No signs at all. So how does a whole big vehicle go missing? I, I, I don't, I don't get these things. I just don't. Some people I, have their theories. I guess, it's, I guess, if you know the right person, you can make anything disappear. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. You do have kind of a point on there. <laughs> if you, those who know places and people, people in places. That's for sure. 
With no leads, no car, and no body, investigators turned to those who last saw Audrey alive, her co-workers. Talking to her co-workers would end up providing some information for police. They find out that Audrey did indeed leave around 11 o'clock that night. She walked out to her Grand Cherokee and said goodbye and parted ways with a fellow nurse. It was this same co-worker who would end up accounting for five of the 15 minutes of Audrey's drive home in which she was supposed to go missing. This co-worker says that Audrey was actually driving behind her on the road for at least five minutes before they parted ways and continued on their own drives. So now we have a 10-minute window in which Audrey could have vanished into thin air. That's a lot going on in 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, a 15-minute window is bad enough. And then you drop it down to 10, it seems dang near impossible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Seems like somebody good. Good or somebody who knew her exact moves and whereabouts. This is true. This is true. It seems very well planned. It doesn't seem a crime of chance or happenstance. Yeah. No. What? Whatever happened to this poor woman, somebody knew way beforehand that it was going to happen. I don't know. The whole little window thing there is frosted. Along with a statement from the co-worker and a grainy video from Cumberland Farms in which it appears that Audrey's vehicle does leave her place of employment and basically just turn left going west on County Route 23B. This is the last kind of technological evidence that would be found in this case. And honestly, it's a grainy video from 2002. Due to the quality of the video, investigators really can't even confirm for sure that it is her car. All they can say is that it appears to be her car. With her place of work turning up no real leads and days passing with no signs of Audrey, the question was finally asked, did she just decide to pick up and walk away from her life? It sounds terrible. And yes, it happens. Every time a person comes up missing with just really no discernible leads, do they just walk away from their life? People don't do that normally. Sick people, sad people, disturbed people. Not people that just got a raise. This woman's a nurse, a mother of three. This is definitely an abduction of some sort, a planned abduction. She didn't walk away. Still to this day, her family's adamant that she would never have walked away. She loved her job and her three children. She was a good mom. She never would have left them willingly. Armed with this knowledge and everything police had done in the past few days searching for Audrey, they decide that if she wasn't injured, she didn't willingly walk away, something sinister was going on, and her case from here on out would be investigated as a homicide. With everyone convinced Audrey wouldn't have left on her own, it began to look like foul play. The investigation was now being treated as a homicide, though no physical evidence suggested it. New York State Police trusted their instinct, as well as Audrey's family, who knew her and her state of mind best. The case proceeded just like any other homicide investigation would. Police began by looking into those closest to Audrey, starting with her husband, Jeff Heron. When officers were questioned about Jeff's attitude during the whole situation, two different officers both say he was somewhat cooperative. The men didn't seem like they wanted to or even could elaborate on it. They did go as far as to say that he was cooperative at the residence and let police search it. But other than that, he was somewhat of a wild card. Sometimes he was helpful and cooperative, and other times he wasn't fully cooperative. Other than acting odd, sometimes police really had nothing to go on with Jeff. Although it's only ever been rumored in the media, sources close to the family confirmed that Jeff was asked to take a polygraph test, to which he agreed. The test would end up being inconclusive because, according to the family sources, someone 
Something interrupted Jeff in the middle of his polygraph test, and he would never return to finish it. With the public beginning to look more closely at Jeff, people start wondering if there was an affair here, and could that be a motive? True Crime Daily even asked this very exact same question in an interview with one of Audrey's friends, who said, absolutely not. One of us would have known. You know, you've got to tell one of your girlfriends. (laughs) You know what I mean? So... No, because none of us know. None of us have been told that. Yeah. So that's not even a factor here. And on top of that, she says Audrey was not that type of person. Audrey wasn't, but she's not the only one in the relationship that can have an affair or whatever, you know? Hadn't thought about that scenario. That's true. I know as far as I'm concerned, I certainly haven't thought about it. But I guess since she's the one missing, that's why they looked into that. Makes sense. And so, police continued to look elsewhere, even questioning the father of Audrey's first child, Sonsia, which again would turn out to be a dead end. With family and close friends turning up clear, the police begin to look into co-workers to see if Audrey had any enemies at work. Her work situation was actually quite the opposite. Everyone at work loved her, patients and co-workers alike. It has even been mentioned that some former patients have attended memorials held for her. Audrey was a clean-cut individual, a typical hard-working mother who loved her family, children, and friends very much. There was nothing going on anywhere in her life to suggest that anyone would want her gone. So sometimes in different situations, depending on who you're talking to, that has actually ended up leading to the idea that maybe Audrey wasn't the actual target. One of Audrey's closest friends even stated in an interview that there were a lot of theories coming around, but to her, none of them make sense. Even the Russian mob theory. Excuse me, but a Russian mob theory for Audrey. But why? What would a Russian mob want to do with a nurse from upstate New York? Nothing. But if you believe the notion that Audrey wasn't the intended target, it could be a plausible explanation. I agree. Before you guys think I'm insane, hear me out. In an interview, one of Audrey's close friends said that, and I quote, the golf course that Audrey's husband's family owned had a silent partner, as they call him. And he was Russian. This statement alone may not be enough to raise red flags with some. But honestly, it was the following statement by Audrey's friends that really made this a plausible theory for me. Another friend continues by saying, There was a rumor that his father owed them money and they were warning him. They took her to warn him. And as far-fetched as it seems to some, police actually did investigate. I don't really want to go down a rabbit hole, but I think it's a decent theory. So I'm going to tell you guys. Personally, it does not make sense to take Audrey if her father-in-law was the target. He had a wife and kids of his own that would make much more sense to get one of them if he was the target. If the message was intended for him, it would seem like that would hit home more than taking his son's wife. Definitely. I agree with that. But what does make sense is if Jeff were the target. Yeah, that um, that's a horse of a different color right there. Taking Audrey would do much more to Jeff than it would to his father. Mm-hmm. Moreover, a few comments made by Jeff's father added some fuel to my fire in this theory. The first was when Jeff's father was asked about where he thought the vehicle was, to which he answered in high quote, That's a good question, he says. The only thing you can come up with, with the vehicle after all this time never being found, it was either crushed, shredded, crushed, or her and the vehicle were put into a container someplace and shipped somewhere. Okay. Who comes up with that right off the spot? Yeah. Like, this is a, this is one of the first things you think of? 
Exactly. Have you been planning anything like that in your in in your recent future? I mean, because <laughs> normal people don't just up and say that. Yeah, they're putting the, they're putting the container and ship somewhere. Okay, yeah. I would never have thought. I that. would have totally thought of that right off the bat. Not. There's yeah. no way, no. Like I totally have a container in the backyard. No way, Jose. Furthermore, shipping a woman and her car off in a container sounds like a mob move and something that only someone with a lot of money could pull off. Now, who has a lot of money? Both the mob and Audrey's husband. The weird comments didn't stop there. Crime Watch Daily went on to ask Jeff's father if he thought Audrey was alive. And he had a seemingly definite and fast answer. His answer was, no, I don't feel her. And before I hop off this theory, another thing that truly struck me as odd was that in this same interview, Jeff's father says that not only did Jeff take a polygraph test, but that he passed. When we know he never finished his polygraph test. Really? Because nobody else knows that. He didn't even finish the polygraph test. Yeah, as I'm saying. Nobody else knows that little fact, but you do? And what I don't get is, no, she's not alive. I don't feel her. Yeah. No. Maybe, I I mean, I don't know him. Yeah. Maybe he's a spiritual type person. Mm -hmm. Some people claim to feel other people's energies and whatever. I am not that person. Mm-mm. I'm not that in tune with my own self, let alone <laughs> anybody else. Amen. But yes, that um, whole interaction. Yeah, it it doesn't compute. It doesn't figure into factual things. It definitely leaves you with more questions than answers. Yeah. Local officials did investigate this Russian mob theory, but they didn't get anything substantial from it. Throughout the years, the family has seen numerous tips lead to dead ends, but in 2016, police got what they called the strongest tip yet. New York State Police were searching a property on a pond on Cotterskill Road in Catskill. The land formerly belonged to a person of interest who was already serving time for disability fraud. However, he has a past with both rape and attempted kidnapping. According to family sources, while they didn't find anything in that search, this person is still a person of interest and has not been officially ruled out. In cases like this, I think all we can ask for is hope. Hope someone knows something and hope that they will come clean about it, even though it's been a while. And though this case is a difficult one, Audrey's family refuses to stop. They often do yearly motorcycle rallies to keep Audrey's story and face in the media so no one forgets that we still need to bring her home. I think the last motorcycle rally they did was back in 2013 though. Sonzia, Audrey's oldest daughter, still attends New York's Missing Persons Day and the family sets up a table in Audrey's honor. If you guys have any information regarding Audrey, no matter how small, please reach out to the New York State Police at 1-518-622-8600. Audrey's family deserves answers and we really need to bring this beautiful soul home to her loved ones. So no matter how small you think a detail may be, nothing is too small when it comes to bringing a loved one home.
family member that we will be hearing from today in this episode is the eldest daughter of Audrey Mae Heron. Her name is Sonzia Court. First off, I just want to thank Sonzia for taking her time to do this with me and be on the show. When I started this, I was afraid that the families of the missing would just think I was another media person trying to tell their story and not really take a personal interest or care, but Sonzia has shown me that I'm different and I want to help. As you know, my goal is to give families a chance to heal or help them somehow through talking and spreading their story on the podcast. So I don't really want to ask the same questions every other TV interview and magazine and news outlet has asked you a million times before. Mm -hmm. I actually want to start out a little different. Okay. I want to ask you, what is something that no one has asked you so far about your mom's case that you actually wish they would ask you so that you could get that particular thought heard and out there? You know, I I can't say for certain that no one has ever asked me that this, but I don't remember ever being asked this is like what I would say if if it ever came out that um, we found the person who did this, they were convicted, whatever, like what I would say to that person, I guess. Well, I guess that's the only question I've ever never been asked that I can remember asking. People do always ask me like what I would say to my mom, you know, if she's listening, you know, what do I want to say to the, the public that's listening, that kind of, I've always been asked that. But I guess never what I would say to the person that did it. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. So what would you say to the person that did it? I honestly think I would um, just want to know, like, why did you have to do this? Why did you do this to my mom? Why was this the only option that you had? You know what I mean? Like, I think I would just need answers in that way that probably only that person could give to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am not really like a malicious person, so I don't think I could say anything mean. But, um, you know, I'm there. I would definitely tell them they're going to be judged one day by like a higher power. At least I believe that. Yeah, um, I just want to know why. You know, you were saying that. I was, I was sitting here thinking, like, my God, the strength of this girl. Like, oh, thank you. Like, if somebody had taken my mom and I found them, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if I can say how I would act. And you know, of course, like I have those thoughts in my head. Like, of course, there's like a million mean and awful, nasty things I want to say. But I guess I just wouldn't want to be that person that says those things to someone else. I mean, because I think at the end of the day, um, you know, they will get what's coming to them, whether it's, you know, in this life or the next life or wherever that may be, you know, and even if they're never convicted and found, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, regardless of how it turns out, one day they will get their judgment. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And I, and also, you know, I know we don't know for sure that there was like a certain person that did this, but I, um, I don't, I, you know, I don't have like a certain person in mind, but I think, you know, someone had something to do with it. That's what my mom and I were having so much trouble with when we were doing the episode is, you know, this coworker accounted for at least five minutes of a 15 minute window. Mm-hmm. So what we originally thought was 15 minutes to grab and go essentially now has gone to 10. How do you get it that perfect? 
Yeah, exactly. It's like what, um, like something happened, you know, and I don't, you know, something happened to her in those few minutes or she made it home and something happened. Um, and then, you know, of course, people, there's still people who believe she just drove off the road, but I feel like there would be more evidence of mm-hmm. that. Um, and also, you know, the, her route home was searched very thoroughly. And also that if she just drove off somewhere, we would find a wreck. Or, you know, I mean, a Grand Cherokee does not just vanish. Yeah, and there are bodies of water, like, along her route home. But um, they were all, like, they were dove into um, with, you know, diving crews. They were searched. Um, There was, like, you know, the public participated in searches, Mm -hmm. walking through the woods. There was helicopter searches. Like, I mean, they're really, you know, that was one good thing about when my mom first disappeared. They were searching for her and that's one thing I found in your case that was very much uh it's hard to say blessing when when talking about this subject but Mm -hmm. it was kind of a blessing for you guys because so many law enforcement agencies will just write the family off and be like you know what we think she walked away based on evidence we're not gonna go off what you think evidence says this but your police station really seemed to take into account you and your family's beliefs. And I think that's what, if we ever get an answer, I think that's what's going to be what helps solve the case is the fact that they did listen and didn't just write it off. Yeah, exactly. I actually, what I didn't realize until I was older that um, police stations didn't like sometimes look for missing people until, you know, 24 hours or days after. Um, because, you know, in my mom's case, I was 10. So I just I just thought anytime there was a missing person, I automatically um, started looking for them, you know, so I didn't really even know that was a thing until I was older and, you know, heard about more missing people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Because I too, even though I had a different you know, completely different scenario growing up as you. I just was a crime junkie from from day one. Mm-hmm. I always just thought, you know, when somebody goes missing, they go find them. Mm-hmm. Or at least they try. And I didn't realize really uh-huh. until listening to a lot of the crime podcasts that there are different statutes in each state that say how long you need to wait and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It really is. And that's why I was so surprised and happy to hear that in your mom's case, it was not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was um, definitely one positive um, thing to be said about it. So I know you said you were only 10 when this happened, but can you kind of tell me in your own words? Yeah, you know, there's going to be like chunks missing and stuff because, you know, I wasn't always in, you know, I mean, like the police weren't coming to 10 year old me and telling me. Yeah. Yeah. So I will just start from uh, the beginning. So I've been in Florida, actually, me and my grandmother, my mom's mother, um, had taken a trip to Florida. She had bought brand new RV and she had it down there on a piece of land. And mom um, let me let me go down with her for the basically the whole month of August, we were gone pretty much. Um, You know, I remember I was in contact with mom pretty much the whole time I was down there, not daily, but you know, every other day, we were on our way back, I talked to her on the phone on the car ride back, which um, I think spread over a couple of days, our um, drive home. And um, she was supposed to pick me up um, the day after um, I got home to my grandmother's. So um, talked to her on the phone, everything seemed normal. You know, she said, I'll be there to pick you up, you know, day after you get home. Um, I love you. Bye. So, you know, that was the last time I talked to her. Um, So the 30th, I think, is when she was supposed to come and pick me up from my grandmother's in the morning. 
because she went missing on the 29th. So I, we got home on the 29th. I'm pretty sure the 28th, late the 28th or the 29th. Um, you know, I get home to my grandma's and then I remember um, my grandma coming to me and saying, you know, um, this was the next day my mom was supposed to come and get me. My grandmother came to me and said, you know, mom had to pick up a shift at work. Um, so she's not going to be able to pick you up today. She's, you know, she'll be here tomorrow. So I'm like thinking like, okay, that's kind of weird. I, I wouldn't expect my mom to pick up a shift after I had been gone for like a whole month. Yeah. Know, I, yeah. I would figure she would want to pick me up, but I really didn't like think too much of it. And then the next day came and I remember my grandmother um, just seemed off all day and I kept getting like this feeling like something isn't right. Um, and then finally, it was probably like later on in the afternoon, she said, um, you know, my grandfather is in the living room. So she said, Sans, I want to bring you in the back room, which is her room and talk to you about something. And I, as soon as she said that, I like automatically knew I didn't, you know, I knew something had happened to mom. Like I didn't know, um, what, but like I knew, and I was like, this is not good. So she brought me back in the room. She sat me down on the bed. She said, um, you know, mom never made it home from work, um, the night. You know, she was, you know, the night before she was supposed to pick you up. Um, she, she said, you know, nobody's heard from her, but everyone's out looking for her. The police are looking for her. You know, there's search teams, there's helicopters. And my grandma's like, we're going to find her. Um, she'll be home in a couple of days and, you know, this will all be fine. Um, and she said, you're going to stay with me for a few days. So see, I stayed with Graham for a few days. Um, they didn't, you know, nothing turned up from the searches and, um, I don't know who decided it, but then it was decided I was going to go and stay with my dad, you know, and I had a relationship with my dad. He had me every other weekend. And so I, you know, I was used to being at his house. I had a relationship with him. I bet that was helpful. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was expecting to suddenly have full custody of me, but <laughs> um, so, you know, we decided that. And I remember um, we had to go to my mom's house to pick up my stuff, you know, all my stuff that was there to bring my dad. And I remember, um, I remember the police being there. Like the police had like 24 hour for a while. I don't know how long, but they were like set up at my stepfather's house, my mom's house. And they were, I guess they were staying there overnight in case it was some kind of a ransom thing or some, you know, something like that. Or if someone was going to try to return to the house, um, which and going forward now, I think is, was kind of strange. I guess they don't always do that. Yeah. Um, um, so I just remember that. Um, I remember emptying out my piggy bank. I had a piggy bank in my room and I remember bringing it up to like the sergeant or whatever that was there and asking him if he could, he was like, you know, I gave him the money and I was like, here, can you please bring my mom home? No, I know. I know. I remember that. And then I remember he, you know, he was like, I can't take your money. I remember I cried because he wouldn't take, <laughs> take my money, <laughs> take my piggy bank money. Um, so then I um, went and stayed with my dad and, um, you know, really there wasn't much after that. It just, we, like there were certain leads, you know, that happened over the years. There's been so many and um, nothing really ever panned out to anything, but it seems like Every year or something, my grandma would call and say, oh, there's this lead, you know, um, trucker called the police and said they saw your mom. Um, so I got to go. I got to go to the station. I'm going to look at the video. They're searching the truck for DNA. And it would just be like this, um, like rush of, oh, my God, this is it. Like, finally, um, th maybe this nightmare is going to be over. 
Um, and finally we'll know what's going to happen. And then it would pan out to nothing. And then something similar would happen. Um, we'd get an email from a random computer that would say, um, you know, this is your mom. Um, I please stop looking for, or this is Audrey. Please stop looking for me. I'm happy. Um, you know, I, I don't want to come home and that would pan out to be just, you know, some random person somewhere who, you know, was yeah. Um, you know, but things like that. And then even more recently, the guy whose house they searched, you know, that was probably the most recent one that that's happened, but that that's pretty, it's pretty much what it's been like. It's, um, you know, been like a giant roller coaster ride. I lived with my sister and brother. I had to move in with my father, which was fine. But then I, I, you know, I didn't get the chance to really grow up with my sister and brother. And, um, for a while, Um, we weren't as close as I would have liked to now, since we're all adults, you know, my brother's 19, my sister's 21. We all have a very good relationship because we make the time on our own, you know, to spend time with each other. But for a while it was hard because we don't live together. We're not growing up as siblings. Um, we go to different schools, you know, so, you know, in a way I lost my mom. And then also I lost getting a chance to grow up with my siblings too. Yeah. So, um, that was difficult. Do you think um, one day they'll be able to find her? Do you see a resolution coming? I mean, I hope so. But honestly, like, I I always hope. But, like, the longer it goes on and the more years she's gone, it's like I feel more discouraged. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, I start to think about – I don't want to say discouraged, but – more so I say to myself, like, okay, Sansia, maybe you have to start to accept the fact that you may never know. And then, like, how you need to learn to deal with that feeling as well. Because always going forward, I've been like, okay, we're going to find her. We're going to find her. Like, one day, one day. It might be 20 years from now, but one day we'll know. And and now sometimes I do think, like, I might have to accept the fact that I may never know. So, um, you know, that's the thing, too. And it's hard, especially, you know it'll be 18 years in August. It's, it's hard to, um, you know, see how 18 years have gone by and there's, there's literally nothing. There's cases where they have DNA and they have a body and they have a vehicle and they still can't solve it. And it's like, so we have nothing. So how do you solve a case that has nothing unless someone decides out of the kindness of their heart that they want to come forward? Um, or we, we find something, you know, someone yeah. stumbles upon the car, someone stumbles upon her remains, What you know. That has to be a hard thing to teach yourself to learn to accept. Um, and it, it is, and I, I don't think really like you, I guess, accept it. Maybe accept was the wrong word, but um, I guess try to cope with it and um, learn how to live with that feeling, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, cope, accept, they still seem like extremely hard things to do, and it takes a very strong person to do that. Well, thank you. How are your half-siblings dealing with it? How have they adjusted? Um, My whole, for them, my sister and my brother are just a little bit different than me in that, you know, with my mom's case. Not that it doesn't affect them, because it does. Um, sister was want to say she had just turned four and my brother was not even two he was going to be two in a couple months I remember hearing they were really young yeah I like where I remember I have 
um, multiple memories. I have many memories of my mom, but then I remember what she was like. I remember who she was. Um, you know, I, I think for my sister, she has like a handful of memories and that's it. I don't think she really remembers like what my mom was like or her personality. I think she just has like a handful of memories and she's like, Oh, I remember going here with mom. Or I remember you, me and mom doing this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Thing, things like that. And then my brother, um, he, he doesn't remember her at all. I remember when he was young, though, he would ask for her, like very young, like toddler age, three, four, ask for her. And, you know, I remember that, like, breaking my heart that he was asking for her. But as he gets older, he, he doesn't remember her at all. Um, we actually had a night recently where he came over for dinner. And, um, you know, I kind of asked him, we don't talk about her all, me and, you know, my brother don't talk about her all the time. But I asked him, I said, you know, do you know what she was like at all? And he said, no. And I said, well, you know, you know, that hurts to hear. And I said, well, do you want to know? And he said, yeah. So we sat for a little while. And I told him stories and um, told him what she was like. I told him that she rode a motorcycle when she was, you know, in her teens and 20s. And he thought that was so cool, you know, because he's like, (laughs) into all that stuff. So um, it was nice. It was good to be able to, um, you know, tell him a little bit about her. Because I just know it would like break her heart to know he doesn't know her, you know? Yeah, that I think as a mother, that would break my heart. Mm -hmm. Because having a son that's two years old, if something were to happen to me, he wouldn't remember me. Yeah, I know. And that's it's awful. It's so sad. And because right now you are like literally his life. You are the center of his universe. So it's like, it's just crazy how that, you know, how that works, how that can happen. Yeah. And I mean, being with him being exactly kind of where your mom was with him, with your brother, age wise and everything from a mother's standpoint, it would break my heart. So I can only imagine how it will make her feel. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely hard. That's a a hard thing. And I, and I feel for them too, because I wish that they, you know, knew her more, had the memories that I do as well. So I feel like they also lost out much, much more than I did because at least I, you know, can remember her and I have the memories and they, you know, have nothing. Really, I mean, not nothing, but they have not as much as I do, memory-wise. Yeah, I actually saw on one of the interviews that you guys did on TV that you're all nurses now. Um, I'm a nurse. My sister is about to graduate in May from nursing school. Um, my brother is not. He, he, I think he works for, like, a contractor. He does, like, you know, construction. You know, he went for welding. He's, like, you know, hands-on type of guy. Sorry, I guess I should have specified the girls. Yeah, but yeah, me and my sister. And I'm sure you've been asked this, but I'm sure it has something to do with your mom as to why you both went into that field. Um, Yeah, for me, um, definitely it was for my mom. Um, I can remember she would go into work sometimes, like stop to drop stuff off or pick things up. um, And she would bring me with her. And um, she worked at like, it was like a rehab, um, long-term care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the people were there for years, a lot of the residents with, you know, patients, and they loved her, you know, she would stop in, she'd hug them, ask them how their day was, you know, let them know when she'd be back to work. And, um, you know, the residents would talk to me and they'd tell me how great my mom was. And I remember just being like, wow, you know, like I, I want people, you know, I want to make a difference to people like that one day. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, um, you know, why I got into it. And even at her vigils, we had a couple of candlelight vigils after she 
first disappeared at her job and all the residents would be there, you know, at the candlelight vigils for her. She sounds like such a special person. Yeah, she she was. She definitely was. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you again for, you know, doing an episode on her and it's great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of If I Go Missing. If you have any case suggestions, you can email me at the Megan Noel. That's the M-E-G-A-N-N-O-E-L at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at the Megan Noel or the podcast Instagram at Megan Noel Podcast. You can also go to Facebook and find the page for Megan Noel Podcast and all the discussion groups for the various podcasts that we host. This episode was compiled by me, hosted by me, and co-hosted by Linda Anderson. Thank you so much for listening and we can't wait to see you again next week.